Have you ever noticed how comfortable we are at church with reading scripture in pieces and parts? How often would you sit down with a book and only read certain sections or read them out of order or read one page from each section over a three-year period? It sounds crazy when I say it that way, doesn't it? I have a friend who knows me really well, and she knows that I do actually read books this way. Um, if I get bored or concerned about the ending, it is not uncommon for me to, uh, to skip around and read the parts I like. Sometimes I read the parts I like over and over again, and I just skip all the things that make me uncomfortable. She says that I'm, the reason I can read a book this way is because this is how we read the Bible in church. What can you say? I bring this up today because we are missing, we are missing five verses of our reading from Luke, six from our reading from Hebrews, and in just one week, we have moved from the first chapter of Jeremiah to the second, skipping over at about 20 verses. So if things don't seem to make sense today, there's a reason. If we're only reading and studying scripture on Sundays while we're at church, we are missing pieces of the whole. So what about those missing parts? Well, between last Sunday's gospel and this Sunday's, a lot has happened. Jesus has been traveling between towns and villages, and the crowd has asked him questions about their salvation, and the Pharisees have warned him about Herod, and per usual, Jesus answers them in parables and seems very unconcerned about Herod. Jesus makes it clear to them that he is busy, busy enacting the kingdom of God, and all are welcome to join him wherever they come from, and that he will not be distracted. He will certainly not be distracted by Herod's presumed power over him. Jesus keeps moving. Today, we find Jesus headed to a meal with some Pharisees, and they are watching him closely. Why? Is it because he has just healed a bent-over woman on the Sabbath, and today is the Sabbath, and they are curious what they might catch him doing next? Is it because he's just rebuked the Pharisees' efforts to warn him of Herod's wrath? But you see, the part we're missing is what happens just before they sit down to eat. A man with dropsy appears before Jesus. Now, I find this to be one of the most curious lines of Luke's gospel, that a man appear, with dropsy appears before Jesus like, poof, where did he come from? Was he in the crowd this whole time and all of a sudden he matters? We can see him. Nevertheless, there he is standing before Jesus and the Pharisees are watching closely to see what might happen next. And as you can imagine... Just as Jesus healed the bent-over woman on the Sabbath, so does Jesus heal the man with dropsy. He turns to the Pharisees and asks, 
Is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? I don't think he's very concerned with their answer. And they remain silent. Now, now it is Jesus' turn to watch and reflect on what he's seeing at dinner. Guests are choosing the places of honor. It got me wondering, how do we find our place at the table? So take a moment and imagine your table. It could be any table. Where do you sit? Always in the same place? Perhaps at the head of the table? Or maybe somewhere in the center of the table where you can talk to everyone? Or consider for a moment the places that you eat throughout the week. Where do you expect to find your place? Do you have a favorite restaurant or a booth or a table at that one spot? Or for a moment, consider our cathedral. Where is your place here? Do you have your you, the dean and the bishop of the cathedral both have their seat in the cathedral, and it is a curious thing to have a reserved place at church. And it's a whole different thing when someone sits in your place. I once had a job where I had a reserved parking spot. I hated that parking spot. Because most of the time, I could care less about where I parked until someone parked in my spot. (laughs) What does it mean to have a seat, a place at any table? Well, Jesus, Jesus equates our place with honor and authority. He wants us, he compels us to take a lower place at the table than we imagine we deserve. It's a bit like being the host who sits at the kids' table. Then Jesus wants us to imagine that moment, the moment when we are invited to take a higher place. What does that feel like? To be bestowed honor by someone else who holds you in a higher place. This is more than knowing or finding your place. And Jesus is, of course, talking about belonging and hospitality. But Jesus is also inviting our reflections on power, prestige, and the kingdom of God. That may feel like enough for today, but wait, there's more. Jesus turns to the host. Now, this is always, it should not surprise me about our Lord and Savior that he has, you know, this kind of ability to confront the host of this banquet, but it always does. He turns to the host and he says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, the host must have been like, actually, I am giving a dinner. 
Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That was a lot. First, Jesus compels us to be the ones who bestow honor on one another. Here, take my place. Then, he speaks of reciprocity in our communities. What does it mean when we repay one another or treat one another as if we deserve something from one another. And reciprocity theologically. What do we expect to receive from God? Now, when I read this this week, I began to wonder about the bent-over woman and the man with dropsy. Where are they? Are they seated at this table? How have they been treated? I mean, obviously we know nothing about their history with their communities, but we do know that Jesus rebuked their communities for not responding to their needs. So of course, the Sabbath seems to be some inhibiting factor for these communities to respond to those who are most vulnerable among them. But Jesus' words imply that this man and woman are being treated worse, worse than an ox or a donkey. And now Jesus invites more than their healing. Jesus implies that they are worthy, worthy at least of a seat at our tables, even before they are healed. And what about reciprocity? I kind of just want to keep saying it. It's hard to say. Reciprocity. There's this wonderful theologian. Her name's Kate Bowler. I commend her books to you. Her whole area of expertise is on what's known as the prosperity gospel. This is the theology, simply put, and this is very simply put, that as long as I do good things in the name of Christ, as I'm a good disciple, whatever that might mean, then good things will happen to me. And this theology may motivate us, and yet it very easily falls apart. She writes about how her prosperity gospel fell apart when she was diagnosed with cancer. Mine, my own personal prosperity gospel, fell apart when our son was born five weeks early and swept away to the NICU before I could even see him. What had I done wrong to deserve this? And so I suppose this is why Jesus' words here make me a bit uncomfortable. When I invite friends over, do I expect something in return? Maybe a really good smoked brisket later? Or when I serve my neighbor, am I looking for some heavenly reward? What does it mean to be blessed or repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
A quick word search for the word blessed in Luke's gospel reveals that the gospel uses it sparingly. There seem to be three categories. Mary and Elizabeth. Mary, after she discerns that she will have a son, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, pregnant after being barren. And Elizabeth blesses Mary. And Mary, and Mary sings praises to God and calls herself blessed. It seems that those who trust God's word, no matter how impossible it may seem, are blessed. But then there are those who either despite or because of their condition are in God's presence. You might remember the Beatitudes. Jesus says, Blessed are you when you are hungry, for you will be filled. Blessed are you when you grieve, for you will be comforted. And then there are those who stay awake, who remain alert. And they are alert for one purpose, discerning the presence of the kingdom of God in their midst. These are those who serve and honor those in need, those who are faithful to Christ, to his way in the world. Now, if we put all those categories together, we discover that blessing is a category all on its own. Blessings, to be blessed, is the fulfillment of God's word in our lives and in our midst, experienced in divine moments of mercy and grace. All of that from two parables. Parables that explore honor and power, prestige and blessing. Now these are experiences that we all have. Some things we might even expect to happen to us. And Jesus invites us to crack open our hearts and our expectations and to wonder how all of these work in God's kingdom. What does the power of God look like? How do our lives reveal and connect us to God's activity in the world, even at a dinner party? Consider a table. Consider this table, covered in embroidered silk, beautifully set, waiting for us. Whose table is it? Where is our place? How will we experience God's kingdom here? Jesus' stories invite us to imagine that God's kingdom is right here, right now. And he opens the table to everyone, assuring each one of us that we have a place. And Jesus wonders how the table will look when God's grace and mercy are what matters most. You see, Jesus never, never inhibits anyone from taking their place in the kingdom of God, and neither should we. There is plenty of room, plenty of seats. 
And as disciples, it is our job to be attentive and aware, to make a place for all God's children. Because in the end, it doesn't matter where we sit. What matters most is that we paid attention, that we made a place for everyone. What matters most is that God's mercy and grace are the centerpiece of every table in our lives.